Welcome back to the podcast Lindy Line, written and told by Simon Brooks. Copyright 2020. We're about to embark on high adventure with spies and magical creatures and lots of skullduggery. If this is your first time to this podcast, I would suggest that you go back to episode one and then visit episode two before you start listening to episode three, chapter 12, Leaving Bait. For the sake of moving this story along and keeping you interested, I'm happy to say that Michaelmas Jack and Jonesy arrived in the city the day before the great feast, proudly escorted by Private Tommy Stanhope. To say he was relieved would be an understatement. Jack may have been King of the Elves, but he was also a royal pain in the neck to Tommy. It had somehow come up that Stanhope's ma was a witch, and Michaelmas seemed interested in meeting her. Stanhope could not figure out how it had happened. He never shared that sort of personal information about himself. Somehow it had just come out. Upon arriving, Michaelmas had been requested to go to the smithy and meet Wayland. Michaelmas looked over the runes and made one small change, with the approval of the king and queen, of course. Once Michaelmas had explained what had been inscribed and what it probably should be, they were more than happy to make the change. Wayland immediately went back to work. Even though it was getting dark, he promised that if he needed to work through the night to get the sword finished so that the Queen could present it to Princess Riley the next day, he would. The King was also having a new saddle made for Avery and her pony. The saddler had been working on it for a month and it was now completed. I'm sorry to say that the spies, with the help of a couple of stolen horses, were also in the city. They also had in their possession the harp. The two scallywags were now looking for the hunter. Hey, said the one. What, said the other. We're hunting the hunter, the one laughed. I knew that, said the other, not seeing the joke, if there was one. Bright and early the next morning, the hunter met up with his cousin in the part of the city which was called the Shambles. It was still dark in the city. They sat in the shadows next to a fire in the bar at the Golden Lion. The landlord, some might say the owner, was rubbing his eyes and cleaning up, wondering why he had let the two men in. They were paying for breakfast, so in some way it was worth it. The hunter had been fortunate, he told his cousin Hans. I caught a ride on a wagon coming up the western road, otherwise I doubt I would have been here until tonight or tomorrow. I walked in through the western gate. There were still plenty of people to hide between with this party happening tomorrow, the hunter said. With so many folk about, I could walk right by the castle with no one stopping me. Made it over the river and down to the shambles, no worries. So I see, said Hans, smiling. Although Lindyline was a small kingdom, it did not mean that they did not take their defence seriously. The city of Lindyline had its own small army and huge fortified, some might say well-protected, walls. And the kingdom had outposts, and lookout towers all along the borders, and in strategic, some might say well-planned places, with good roads running between most. The great forest meant that their soldiers and guards could not check everyone coming into the city. The hunter and Hans began talking over some plans, trying to work out who could help them and who would not. 
It turned out Hans had some good contacts, some would say friends, at the castle. Someone would be able to get to the king. It would be hard at the great feast. Once the plan was made and gone over, the cousins embraced, some might say hugged each other, and they separated their ways. The hunter headed straight back over the river to the castle. The hunter moved slowly, watching everything, noticing everyone. He was searching for Princess Avery. Hans had told his cousin Avery loved animals and was often with them in the barns, the paddocks and pens, and sure enough, there she was. One of the horses was in the paddock. The sun was rising and the sky was brightening. Avery was brushing the old horse as it ate grass, and every once in a while the horse would turn and nibble the girl's shoulder in return, and she would giggle. The hunter glanced around and walked towards the paddock. Now was the time to make his move. The spies had been watching the princess as soon as she had come out of the castle. They knew the hunter was on his way and were waiting for him, and there he was. They watched as he strolled over to the princess and began speaking to her. The hunter's voice was low and quiet, so the spies could not hear what was being said. The girl's head snapped up and she looked straight at the hunter, fear in her eyes. Then she quickly looked down. Patting the horse twice, she turned and ran toward the castle, but the hunter did not chase after her, nor did he run off. He slumped down against one of the paddock's fence posts. The spies looked at each other and back again. The hunter was crouched against the fence. "'What's he doing?' said the one. "'How should I know?' said the other. "'The guards,' said the one. "'I know,' said the other. "'But where are they? They should come running out any minute, and he's just sitting there,' said the one. Then Princess Avery came out from the castle, dressed in travelling clothes. She carried two large bundles. The hunter rose and walked over to help her, and both went towards the stable. "'What's going on?' "'I have no idea,' said the other. The spies watched Princess Avery and the hunter, and moved to follow. But then the hunter began to turn and look around, so they hid behind a wagon. The man and the girl entered the stables, and the spies waited. "'What's going on?' said the other. "'Maybe he's threatened to hurt one of her animals if she doesn't do what he says,' said the one. I was thinking that too, said the other. Sure, said the one. The spies moved from their hiding spot and made their way carefully to the barn, when suddenly the princess came out of the stables riding her Welsh pony and the hunter following her on a large dale pony. Is that a Welsh pony she's on, said the one. No idea, said the other. Shouldn't we be doing something? Yes, we'll leave the harp right here next to the stables. And so they did. Chapter 13. Arriving. Twenty carts arrived, each pulled by a large silver or white horse, with the exception of one, which was pulled by a black stallion, some might say a big male horse. If you looked at the caravan, some say group, of horses pulling the carts, you might think at first they were leading themselves. If you were to look closely, then you might see sitting between the ears of each horse was one of the wee folk, one of the fae, a fairy or elf. Each horse and cart came from one of the twenty tribes of little people who lived in Lindyline, and each rider was a chosen representative, 
some might say spokesperson, from each tribe. At the great feast, there would be so many people that if all the wee folk came, some could quite possibly get stepped on and squashed by the large and clumsy humans, and that would be a terrible thing to happen. So each of these delegates were presented food by the king and queen, and the day after the feast would return with carts filled with bounty, some might say reward, for each of these twenty tribes. Each tribe was named after one of the trees that grew in and around the forests of Lindyline. Jack was the current ruler of all the wee folk, and his tribe were of the oak. It was his representative who rode on the black stallion. The previous ruler of the elves had been the tribe of the sycamore, and before that, pear. Jack still had a couple of years before a new leader was picked. Other vehicles were arriving. Carriages, large and small, buggies, wagons and carts, came filled with people from all over the kingdom. Theatre troops arrived in wagons filled with props and sets. Jugglers, musicians and fire-eaters sometimes travelled together with the tools of their trades loaded into carts. Some arrived on foot, carrying what they needed to perform, packed into bags, pockets or on their heads. As more and more people filled the city, it became more and more crowded. Some of the roads had long tables covered with food and drink already sent from the castle's kitchens. The tables went down whole streets, and between most, large fires roared, keeping the people warm. Bunting, streamers, flags, was hung across the street, dancing in the wind which blew with vigour, some might say strength. The party was soon to begin. Chapter 14. The Finished Sword Michaelmas was back at Wayland's smith. He looked in over the low wall, leaning on his blackthorn walking stick, and watched Wayland finish polishing the sword. It shone bright in the mid-morning light. Wayland saw the old man watching him as he laid down the cloth. Come on in, Wayland said. The smith looked tired. His eyes were red and had dark rings about them. Wayland had ensured the sword was perfect, giving it the last plunge into the heat of the coals, then slowly into cold water. Wayland looked at Michaelmas and smiled. His look and movements told the wizard, if Michaelmas were a wizard, that the smith was tired. The old man could see the hilt was covered with embossed leather, and as Michaelmas walked closer, his stick thumping softly on the floor, he noticed the scabbard lying on the workbench. The old man walked over, and leaning his stick against the bench, picked it up. Wayland had the sword gripped in a vice as he polished the blade. The smith stopped what he was doing, loosened the vice, and handed Michaelmas the sword. After holding it and turning the blade around, the old man slid the sword into its scabbard. Michaelmas felt a lump on the sheath and ran his thumb over it. He tapped the raised leather and raised his eyebrows at Wayland. The smith nodded and said, It's a semi-precious stone, my own gift to Riley. Wayland smiled. She's a good kid, Princess Riley. They both are, but Princess Riley sees the beauty of the forge. Not many people do. Michaelmas ran his finger over the lump and felt beneath the leather a stone which had healing and protective powers. 
Michaelmas drew the sword from the scabbard and looked it over, turning it over in his hand, almost cutting himself on the blade it was so sharp. It's beautiful, truly beautiful. Thank you, said Wayland. Are you going to enchant it? The king mentioned you might. The king is correct, but we need a clean or at least less cluttered space. Can we clear this workbench off? asked Michaelmas. Of course, said Waylon, and they began to put some things in their place and other things away. Wayland was so tired he did not notice how easily Michaelmas found the correct places for tools. The table was scrubbed with water, and then Michaelmas asked Wayland to present the sword to Michaelmas, placing the sword and scabbard next to each other on the bench. Wayland did so, and said, I suppose now I have presented the sword to you, you will present the sword to the Queen, so she can present it to the Princess? Again you are correct, and I am honoured to handle such a weapon as this. Michaelmas took up his walking stick and held it over the table and began to mutter under his breath. If Wayland heard a word or two, he did not recognise them, even when Michaelmas's voice grew louder. The words were foreign to Wayland. The head of Michaelmas's walking stick began to glow, and Wayland noticed for the first time the deep etchings and engravings. Light was now coming from these lines between the dark wood, and the light began to fill the smithy, Michaelmas stopped his incantations, and the light faded away. That should do, he said. He leant his walking stick against the workbench again, and sheathed, put the sword back in its scabbard. He bowed to Wayland. You are indeed a master craftsman. I wouldn't be surprised if there were some elven blood in you. Wayland smiled and bowed in return. Chapter 15 the princess goes missing. The king and queen were seated at the top table. Riley sat next to the queen. Next to the king was an empty seat. In other chairs sat the king and queen's best knights, lords, ladies and dukes and duchesses. Princess Riley squirmed in her dress. She tugged at the high collar as if it were too tight, although it clearly was not. The great hall was filled with a loud hum as guests talked happily to one another. But the king looked agitated, some would say troubled. He leaned over to the queen. Where on earth is that child? he said in hushed tones. The maids are looking for her, dear, don't worry. But she's never late to anything. I have asked some of the guard to check the stables and barns in case she forgot what time it was and was still with the animals. The queen patted the king's hand. The king leaned over and picked up a pitcher of birch beer and poured a large quantity into his goblet, some might call it a cup. I don't know why, but I feel thirsty. Do you want some, dear? he asked the queen as he poured the drink into her goblet. And some for you too, he said, pouring more of it into Riley's goblet. The queen smiled at her husband and said thank you. We all know you get nervous at these things, dear, she said. As soon as Avery is here, we can get started and you'll be fine. Sit back and relax. Michaelmas stood about ten feet behind the king, the sword under his robes. The same sword he had enchanted, the same sword Riley had helped make, the same sword the queen was supposed to present to Riley. We know Avery was not there, nor would she be, so although it is of no surprise to us, it was more than a surprise to the king and queen when the maids and guards returned to say they could not find their daughter. 
the Princess Avery. It was an even greater surprise when one of the soldiers came up to the king and kneeling handed his royal highness a golden harp and said, This was found near the stables, my liege. Maybe her royal highness has been kidnapped by the fairies, sire. The soldier was the captain of the city guards. A lolsworth can happen three times within an hour. A lolsworth will occur on the hour, at twenty minutes past the hour, and at twenty minutes before the hour, at every third of the clock or close to it. A lulsworth is when a sudden moment of silence falls unexpectedly in a noisy room. It does not always happen, but when it does, it's usually at a third of the clock, if it were to happen. When the captain of the city guards had said, Maybe Her Royal Highness has been kidnapped by the fairy sire, he had said it at twenty minutes past the hour. Everyone in the hall had heard what the captain had said in the sullen, unexpected silence at the start of the Lulsworth. An uproar soon began. Quiet! yelled the king, and the room fell silent once more. Has anyone seen the princess in the last few hours? Early this morning, my friend and I were walking by the stables and saw the princess ride off. Before she left, she was talking to one of the wee folk outside the stables. We thought nothing of it on such a day as today, said the one. Nothing at all, said the other. The king looked at the harp. The wee folk have taken my daughter, said the king. Before he could say another word, one of the wee folk arrived and flew down on the king's table and bowed to the king the Queen and Princess Riley. The fairy was out of breath. Forgive me, Your Majesty. I need to find Jack, King of the Elves. A terrible thing has happened, said the wee man. What is it? Have you taken my daughter? No, Your Majesty, said the little gentleman, looking confused. Somebody set fire to the great oak, and our golden harp has been... The fairy stopped and looked at the golden harp in the King's hands. The little man bowed to the King once more. Your Majesty holds the golden harp, stolen from the great oak. Are you accusing me of stealing your harp? cried the king. You who have taken my daughter? The two spies looked at each other. Time to leave, said the one. I quite agree, said the other. Michaelmas's voice barely whispered, Jonesy, find Jack and quick. The raven who had been woken from his sleep in the rafters by all the sudden commotion, some would say noise, heard Michaelmas, spread his black wings, and flew from the hall. And so ends episode three of Lindyline. Stay tuned and come back tomorrow for episode four and chapter 16. <laughs>